0: to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris?
1: Doing good, Jody. What's up with you? Me! I'm still up today. Good!
0: (laughs) It has not been a 48-hour turnaround, but yes, I'm still up. I'm happy. It's Christmas time! Holidays! It
1: is, right? Yes. Yeah, we're getting in there. I'm looking forward to getting a little bit of a break, actually. I'm, I'm feeling fried. So Uh I I welcome having a little time off.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk about not
1: over frying audio with what? Parallel compression. That was was not the smoothest segue ever, but we'll go with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Parallel compression. Do you use a lot of it? Do I use a lot of
0: it? Is this the question you're going to open with? The answer to that is I use it. I don't know if I'd go around calling it my hometown style of compression because I am born in New York. And it is sometimes known as New York style
1: compression. Yep. Why is that? I think it's just where the engineers in New York were the ones to kind of do this first. So it became known as that. And I think initially it was sending drums to it. I think it was generally a, a drum thing or like a drum bus thing where that started happening. I oh, could yeah. be wrong on that. And initially in New York. So there you go. New York style compression. Right. I think it might have been Bob Katz, actually, that coined the phrase. I'm not sure. Good on him. We actually haven't discussed exactly what parallel compression
0: is. What is parallel compression?
1: It is instead of applying compression to the entire signal like we normally do on an insert, let's say the initial easy way to kind of grasp is if you duplicate the track and then apply compression on just one of them. So you're essentially blending a compressed signal with a dry signal. Mm -hmm. You get certain benefits that we'll talk about here, but but that's essentially what parallel compression is. And you could look at it, if we think about, we're sending stuff to reverbs and things usually on a bus, right? Yep. And it's pretty much the same thing that you can do with parallel compression. Uh, You either duplicate the track, you can do it on an aux, like I said, that you, you send it off and put the compression on said and then you blend that in with the dry signal, so. Yes. That's how you yeah. would have
0: done it in the hardware world anyway. You'd set it up on a bus and send whatever signals you want to go through there. And yeah. then you'd compress that bus... And you'd also have your dry signal as well, and you blend the two. That's the hardware version. And then you talked about software versions in your DAW. I've never actually duplicated a track and done it on just one of the tracks. That's an interesting way of thinking about it. I always approached it the hardware way, where you send it to a bus or an aux.
1: Yeah, I primarily do that as well. I think there were certain limitations with certain DAWs initially where that was – the preferred way of routing. I wouldn't do that again today, but I know that some guys still do. So just wanted to mention that. Eva, simpler way today is of course, if we have a mix knob on our compressor, on our plugin. You mean a dry right? so, wet so
0: knob type thing?
1: Yeah, exactly. You're effectively blending the untreated, uncompressed signal right there. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, that's parallel compression. Oh Yeah. What do you tend to do, or why would we wanna do that? Why, why, why do you want to parallel compress something? Why not just compress the snot out of it right where it is? <laughs> and give it a really long attack time? Sure. But what are the benefits of doing a parallel compression as opposed to an inline compressor? Well, the reason why I've always done it is
0: to thicken something up by being able to squash the living bejesus out of it. And then lowering that squashed signal so that it supports the unsquashed version of the signal. Yeah. It just fattens it it. up. That's how I think about it. How would you think about it? Do you think about it the same way?
1: That's the way I tended to think of it for a long time. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a very effective way of still doing it, right? Where you, especially on, I would say the most common way of using this would be on a drum bus, for example. Or at least the shells of a drum kit, right? Mm -hmm. Where you can get away with a lot more judicious type of compression without losing all types of life to it, right? Because you're blending it back in with the untreated audio. I would be guilty of, of being too heavy handed on that at first because it's, <laughs> it's a little bit like a, a kid getting a new toy, right? It's like, ooh, let's see how, how bad we can mess stuff up here. Sure. It doesn't have to be a judicious amount of compression, but we can get that excitement where essentially just raising the room sound Mm -hmm. if you have the mic drum kit and you have instead of just treating the transients by squashing everything we can bring up the ambience of the kit and blending it in with a dry signal so that we we get that energy and vibe yeah that's two nicely used adjectives right there right oh yeah that's the premise, and I think that's by far the most common way of doing it, because we have the dry signal there again. We don't lose the transients, and it's just not a squashed mess. We just kind of blend it in. Yeah, that's the way I think about it.
0: Is there? You're saying there's a different way of thinking
1: about it. What is it? Well, I'm just questioning the use of always like squashing the bejesus out of it. It doesn't have to be like super. Well, it super... doesn't
0: have to be that much. I'm just seeing extreme examples. You squash the living snot out of a signal, and then you bring the volume way down on it so that your dry signal carries the life and such, and the squashed, compressed thing that you blend back in gives you a little bit more girth.
1: Yes, it certainly does that. It can certainly add that energy like you're describing. Subtlety here, I think, it can be king when you bring that in. Sure. It's very, very easy to overdo that. And I think I know I've certainly been guilty of that when I've experimented with this in the past. Like, oh my God, that is so exciting. And though, ooh, why am I mixed so full and, and <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> there's no space left for anything if I'm using it on the drums like that? Right. But uh, a little bit goes a long way. Yeah. It certainly adds excitement. Now, drums is not necessarily the only way that we would use this. What else do you, you mentioned before we started rolling here today that you have done some relatively elaborate uses of this with vocals I have in the past. Maybe you could share some of that, your thought behind that. It had more to
0: do with giving a lot of weight to a vocal in varying amounts would be the best way of saying this without it becoming overbearing on the mix. And it's like a combination of using parallel compression along with the concept, almost like maybe browizing type yeah. of compression. And I would set up about four or five different compressor tracks. And I would sneak a little bit of the vocal, mainly the lead vocal, into each one. And no, are these
1: different types yes, of different compressors? Yes, different types
0: of compressors. So I would use multiple different compressors, like the Arvox from Waves at the time, and an 1176, and an LA-2, and Logic Something compressor. Else. Yeah, just you're throwing right. a bunch of different compressors together. And then I would blend all five of those into a final bus with the lead vocal so that... The lead vocals still had the transients and all the compressed ones were supporting extra girth to the vocal sound. Was it overkill? Maybe. But I liked it and I did
1: it and (laughs) nobody complained about it. So that's even better. (laughs) So how, when you're using all those different compressors, how were you treating the signal then? Were you using, let's say, oh, on the... 1176, I'm going to use a higher ratio or was every compressor. Now, the correct me if I'm wrong here, but the RVOX was, you didn't really have a choice. It was just like compression or more or amount less. Right? Yes. right. So, but was it different types of ratios on the others or yeah. how
0: did you? Yeah? yeah, Every one of them had their own little thing that was attuned to the type of compressor that it is. And I would just blend all those together. And it made vocals sit really easily in the mix off of the final bus that blended the original with the other four or five compressed versions. And I would blend them varyingly. Now, since that time, I don't do that nearly as much as I used to with that particular technique. But I still use a multi bus technique on vocals for other concepts, but that's not this discussion.
1: Right. So when you go for this, let's say on a vocal now, mm-hmm. what kind of settings are you usually going for? What kind of ratio, attack times, that type of thing? Oh, these things were usually set fairly mild. We're talking somewhere between two to maybe five to one at max. Okay. It wasn't drastic. Yeah, you're not like slamming it like an all buttons no, in type of thing, no, right? No, 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 no. Okay. Not at all. All right, and how much are you taking off then? The Waves
0: Renaissance vocal compressor, which is a very nice vocal compressor, by the way, that one probably did the most of the shaving, so to speak, where it probably compressed at maybe 10 dB off. So it was really kind of... Smoothing things out, which made things easier in the mix. I didn't have to ride the bus as much to right. get things to sit the same when I did these things. Now I prefer to kind of ride the bus a little bit.
1: Yeah, I was going to say I'm glad you clarified that because it's not necessarily advisable to like. Oh, I'll, I'll just slam a compressor on my lead vocal and have the compressor do all mix the work the track for me. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because yeah. right? it can sound unnatural doing that. It okay, can. so you. But most of the sense. others
0: were probably taking maybe 3 dB, 4, right. maybe 5 dB. The Renaissance Vocal Compressor was the one that really did most of the heavy-handed lifting, and it was blended in maybe at the lowest level.
1: Mm, okay, The rest of but them it, were
0: a little bit higher, but they're all there to kind of support the unprocessed version or the uncompressed version, so to speak.
1: They added something that you liked at the time that that gave girth and vibe and all those adjectives Mm -hmm. to to the lead vocal. And every once in a while, I'll still do that. Even the the different compressors? Yeah. Yeah. All right. right. I don't do it as much as
0: I used to. I'll still do it once in a while.
1: Yeah. I haven't used that technique, but I do use parallel compression on just about any mix. And it's not always necessarily that I'm setting out to do a parallel compression. It might just be that I'm really, really close with the vocal, Mm -hmm. for example. You wanna get married to it? I'm always married to the vocal, yeah. (laughs) It may be it's just grabbing a little bit too much, but it sits really nice, and that might be a case where I'm just on like a wet, dry thing on the compressor, I might bring it down. Right Now, that would probably be the most common thing that I do using this method. I have done it on drum kits and things as well and blended that in. Not so much lately, oddly enough, though. Yeah, why the, why the change? I think I just ended up achieving the sound that I wanted without having to do that. Mm. I suppose that for me, it just has come down to that I'm better at listening to and adjusting my compressors as opposed to, because I think one thing that can happen is if we have a wet-dry mix on our compressor, it's like, oh, I over-compressed the signal drastically, but oh, it's, never mind, I'll just turn down the mix knob. Right? <laughs> so it's one of those things. It is a good effect. I, I still do it every once in a while on other instruments, like other percussive-type instruments, whether that's just percussion, sometimes even on um, acoustic guitar, for example, if it's a, a strumming kind of a guitar part. Mm-hmm. I think that can add some life into it because if we're not careful there I think it's easy to suck the life perhaps out of a of an acoustic guitar if we're compressing too much. Sure. So having the parallel thing there can make it nice and warm and and girthy and all those. <laughs> well, here's something well, uh, that I've
0: changed in my workflow. I used to compress electric guitars
1: yeah, me too. Yeah.
0: I don't really do that so much anymore, especially, well, let me clarify that. I don't really compress distorted electric guitars so much yes. anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. Clean ones, nothing... that's a different story, but uh, right. distorted ones, the distortion is doing your work for you. And right. if I were to start compressing electric guitars, chances are I'm doing
1: that in a parallel mode. Just so I don't yeah. lose a lot of whatever transients might be left. Right. That's a good point. When you're doing like overdriven, distorted guitars, th- there's very little dynamics happening there, right? Mm-hmm. If you're just like playing big chords or you in chunking away that there's nothing left to compress, you're just going to remove life at this point if there is any in the dynamics there. Yes, that's a lesson that I learned as well. It's like, hmm. Sounds a lot better when I remove the compressor. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I would do that as a parallel thing if right. I needed it to. Yeah, when you say you used to anymore. do
0: it heavy-handed, were you doing it because you wanted to try and get more volume into your mix?
1: I think I was just trying to get more attitude. And mm. that was obviously the wrong way of going about it at the mm. time. But I didn't know better. Right. So say, so, yeah, let's compress that. And it's like, hmm, where does all the, the attitude on my, my guitar goes? I, I know I'll compress more. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was a lesson learned. So no, I, I don't really do that anymore. Uh, there's another technique that I wanted to touch on, but maybe we should take a break first. And that's something we call the, the Andrew Shep's rear bus compressing. Well, before well. we get to that
0: Shep's rear bus compression, let's do take that pause for a word from our sponsors. And we're back. And Chris, just before the break, mentioned some cat named Andrew Sheps. Why don't you describe this cat?
1: Well, he's a very talented mixer. He lives Mm -hmm. in the UK. No, I'm going to describe the technique more than (laughs) anything else. But yeah, Andrew Sheps is a fantastic Uh, engineer, Uh, mix engineer as well. His technique, he had something that he called rear bus compression. It dates back to when he was working on his, I think it was a Neve that he had, the console. The origins don't really matter as much as the technique. The technique was that he would send all the instruments minus the drums to another aux. Mm -hmm. On that aux, he would have a compressor applying about Two to one ratio, maybe a little bit more. Right. And shaving off a couple of DB, maybe like three to five DB, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And then blending that in again with the full mix. Right. Again, to fill that sound out. And it's an interesting sound, you know, it adds just a little bit more girth to the tracks. Right. The way I understand it was that why he didn't use percussive with like drums and things going into that, was because it was triggered too much of the compression. Sure, so it it. Became a, lot a pumping more, effect. Right. Which is heavily so, popular in EDM, so they don't follow that, but that would be the idea. Yeah, this would have been a different goal. That's an interesting thing as well, to kind of subtly blend that in. This is a technique that I got really addicted to when I first learned it. Are and you still addicted to it, sir? No. Again, mm-hmm. I tried to learn my lesson. Not that it's a bad <laughs> technique at all, but I really, really overdid it. Again, it's like that thing, you know, a 13-year-old kid knows a little bit of karate. He it wants to use it everywhere. right? Kick so, everybody's ass with it. Yeah, and it's not a good thing. <laughs> but it is a really, really cool technique. And if you do it right, it does add a lot of warmth to your mix. Warmth or, or girth? I would say girth is probably a better Order. word to describe it. Sure, Because it fills out that, and it just adds everything in there to blend that in and fill out the spaces that might be there, right? It's like overeating so, a little bit? Yeah, exactly. So but your uh, stomach you is could, full and you
0: think, oh, I just got to sit here and enjoy this without the
1: pain. Yeah, like Mr. Creosote, right? And have that <laughs> wafer-thin mint. That is a cool thing as well. But I take you know, more to the parallel on individual groups or vocals now. When I'm, you said at the top of the podcast here that we can be pretty heavy-handed with it. The way I think about it today is I tend to go for lower ratios. Mm-hmm. So there might be like a 2 to 1 or a 3 to 1 and take a few dBs out and then being relatively subtle with it. It's easy to get that excitement, right, where you kinda oh, I, I start hearing a big difference in the mix, in my experience, at least, it's very easy to overdo Sure. And overcook that.
0: In the opposite form of the Andrew Sheps thing, as I mentioned also before we hit roll, in my template, I do actually have a rear drum bus, but instead of sending all of the music instruments to it, I send the drums to it
1: yeah. for the opposite effect.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that I can fatten up the drums a bit more, more than the instrumentation. Because I generally take care of the instruments on their own buses, so to speak, before it hits my music bus. And I don't really do that with the drums in the same way. So I do the drums just before it hits the music bus with a rear bus compressor, so to speak,
1: just to fatten them up a little. So I'm curious here and I'm interested in your processing on your drum bus. So explain to me. You got all your kit pieces, everything, just like you would go into a drum bus. Mm -hmm. And then you're saying instead of applying any kind of processing on there, you you do a parallel on the drum bus. I I do both. So
0: with the drum bus, especially with working like console style now that I've picked up on, the idea there is I'm doing the EQing and a little bit of light compression on the drum bus to glue it together. Mm -hmm. And then that goes to the music instrumentation bus. Travel with me if you can in your head now. (laughs) From that (laughs) bus, I will send a send to a bus next to my music bus that I can then really compress the snot out of the drums. It's like doing the Andrew Sheps thing, but I do it with the drums and not with everything else, so to speak. And what I do with that is... I use maybe the API 2500, or I might now start really sneaking in the 175B. I was going to say,
1: that sounds a bit like a job for that. Very much. Yeah. like I have not yeah.
0: yet done that with that compressor yet, but that's the one I'm probably going to switch out to 2500 for. Then I take that and I blend that back in to really give a bit more weight to the drums without overcooking the situation on the music instrument bus and still giving a bit more weight to the drums. It complicates things a little bit in terms of the balance,
1: so I have to do it sparingly. Again, there it's really easy to overcook these things oh, yeah. when, when you're doing it because it it starts sounding really, really exciting and very easy to overdo. I wanted to, to backtrack a little bit as well because I think we kind of glossed over the routing or how we might use this. Do do you think we should go back and do that a little bit more? Rewind. (laughs) Yeah. And and just the process of how let's say we've talked about the drum bus predominantly, but but let's say like a vocal and why we're doing this process again. Mm -hmm. right? So it's not that we necessarily want to control the dynamics of a performance now. It's the adding of attitude or something that the the compressed signal in parts that we're blending in to achieve the sound, and that to me is the real purpose of the parallel compression, right? So if I have now a lead vocal, mm-hmm. I will use a send on that to send to an auxiliary track. I usually use an eleven seventy six type of compressor right. for this kind of stuff. It's not like you couldn't use anything else, but because I like it to to really catch the the transients and everything. So on that track, I will generally have an 1176 type of compressor, mm-hmm. probably at the lowest ratio, about a 4 to 1. Right. If I need more gentle compression, I'll use another one. Right. Or in this case, that that's what I would use. I would have the slowest attack, which on an 1176 is not really slow at all. It's still <laughs> fast. The thing to pay attention to, I think, here is as with all compressors is to listen for the release Yep. because if you have the release that it's it's too long or too slow you will get like an obvious kind of like pumping sure. type of a thing and that is something that at least me i don't like if i'm using this type of, of processing again to backtrack at that it's like it's the attitude it's created by this it's not that we're taming peaks it's this sound that we want to get and that's why At least I would use like a parallel compression.
0: So maybe we should call it enhancing compression.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right? That's really what it does, right? Because it's a supporting thing and then blending that in. And it might be, I don't know, do you ever go like one-to-one on that when you bring that in? So it's like just as loud because you will add level to the track that you're doing that to.
0: Rare, very rare. It's not often that I would go one-to-one on the volume out of that.
1: So where do you normally end up? I mean, I know it's content dependent. It's, but.
0: I have to say it's content dependent. It really has to do with how the mix is coming together in terms of why I'm doing the compression in the first place. Is it because I'm adding the vibe and attitude or am I trying to tame something? Because I do treat compression in two different factors in that way. You're talking about the whole taming of transients and then there's the idea of the vibe and the energy. And depending on what I need to do with that performance is how I'm going to use that compression. And if I'm going with the parallel thing, it's generally to add the vibe and energy. Right, And it has to be done subtly, usually. The example I gave you with the 175B with the drums, that was pretty much one-to-one. I mean, yeah, But it sounds great the way it did it. I don't think I would always use it that way. It's content dependent. And if it needs it, then you go one-to-one. If it doesn't, then you blend it in with much less.
1: Yeah. I guess that's the note to sort of end on, right? Where you, you do what you have to do to get the result while you're doing it. It's not a technique that You have to use in every mix or your mix is going to fall apart. But it is a tool to kind of be aware of that we can use to impart some energy if we need it. Mm -hmm. And if we need to be aggressive with a parallel compression, do that. If it needs to come up loud uh, on the return, so to speak, do that. Chances are using it sparingly will get results pretty quickly as well. Yes, it would. Let's move on to our variety finds. Chris, what have
0: you got this week?
1: I got turned on to a plug-in this week Mm-mm. by a company called Sound Soundradix. Mm-hmm. And it's a plugin called Drum Leveler. Oh, you're talking now, compression as, now. <laughs> it, yes, it sounds like it is, isn't it? But it's an interesting plugin. I've only messed around with it a little bit, but I've seen it demoed and – It's a problem solver type of plugin. Primarily when you're dealing with live tracked drums, where if you have a drummer that might be a little bit uncomfortable in the studio, let's say, and the hits aren't necessarily as even as you would like them to be, drum leveler can take care of that for you. So you can set a certain threshold where you want it to start listening to the track and then have a level where you want it to sort of raise it to. So you can get a much more even performance out of, for example, a snare or a kick or something that's a really prominent thing. So I think it was an interesting plugin and I'm I'm diving into it a little bit more. Drum Leveler from Sound Radix is my Friday find this week. Mm -hmm. What do you got for us? For those of you who need a spring reverb, and I'm sure there's a a lot of spring reverb. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) Well, I have some really nice ones now, but there was a time that I did (laughs) not. (laughs) And for those that do not have like the super nice spring reverbs, there's a new spring reverb out on the market called Mola. I believe that's how it's pronounced. It is a spring reverb plugin put out by Hornet. And I don't mean whore like the cheap lady you're going to go get on the street, but Hornet, like the thing that'll sting your ass when you kick the nest. So if you need a spring reverb, Mola by Hornet will be my choice for this week because it is free and you can't beat free. Right. That price you can afford not to like it. That's right. (laughs) So there's my Friday find right there. Cool. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. Doing so, we'll get you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this podcast. Send us an email at GoldStar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the phrase, parallel. And you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode.
1: With that, I'll say see you next week. See you later, Jody. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you're listening to this when it's just coming out, have a happy holidays.